Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, an ophthalmology OCAPS and Board Review podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Please keep in mind that these podcasts are for medical education only, not to diagnose that thing on your eye. We're ophthalmology residents who figured reviewing for clinic, OCAPS, or boards is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, we'll review a high-yield topic and flesh out the why and the how. If you missed last week's episode, we started to discuss the phacomatoses, those ectodermal conditions that affect the eyes, skin, and CNS. This week, we return for phacomatoses part two. The next one, number six through our trip through all these, is actually the first one that is hereditarily sporadic. So, so far, everything's been autosomal dominant, and you may have heard the usual mnemonic for this anyway. And that mnemonic is that W stands for wild, i.e. sporadic. So any phacomatosis that has a W in it is sporadically inherited. So that means Sturge Weber with a W and Wyburn Mason, which we'll go into in a bit more later, which also has a W. Those are the only two that are sporadically inherited. But it's Sturge Weber syndrome. Except the test knows, every test knows you know what Sturge-Weber syndrome is, so it's not going to call it that. Instead, you will read, Ben? Encephalofacial angiomatosis. It's the same thing. So they may even just outright, they may describe all the symptoms and characteristics of Sturge-Weber, and you won't see the word Sturge-Weber anywhere in the answer choices. It'll just say encephalofacial angiomatosis. Don't fall for it, it's the same thing. So among those skin findings, you probably already can say, you got the port wine stain, which is really a vascular malformation in the skin. The brain, you've got vascular malformations, again, of the leptomeninges, and that can lead to calcification in the brain, seizures, and the usual variable cognitive impairment and neurologic deficits. Here again, talking more about hemangiomas, the eye findings have choroidal hemangiomas. And this one's easier to remember. It's a diffuse, they call it catsup or ketchup-like lesion. It's not really like a focal localized thing like the mulberry astrocytic hamartomas of tuberous sclerosis or the capillary hemangiomas of neurofibromatosis type 1. Instead, this is a diffuse, generally reddish background to your choroid. Think again about how the port wine stain is a diffuse spreading out along the whole. It covers a wide area of the skin, so too does the choroidal hemangioma. And for other relevant eye things, you can actually get a lot of anterior segment dysgenesis, which is what leads to glaucoma. However, if you develop glaucoma after the age of 10, it's less likely that you had something like anterior segment dysgenesis. Right, and if someone's over the age of 10 with Sturge Weber, they'll tend to have an increased intraocular pressure due to increased episcleral venous pressure. Remember, Schlem's canal eventually feeds into the episcleral venous plexus, so a rise in pressure of that venous plexus will lead to increased pressure in Schlem's canal, which will eventually translate into increased pressure and the eye itself. Yeah, so, so to review, Sturge-Weber um, is the disease of vascular malformations of the face. So that includes the skin. Generally, ipsilaterally in the CNS with the leptomeningeal vascular malformations. And in the eye as a choroidal hemangioma, which is, as Andrew pointed out, uh, a vascular malformation of the choroid. Um, the classic kind of got you question 
is a patient with glaucoma from Sturge Weber, and they'll ask you what the mechanism is. And again, if they're under age 10, it's due to anterior segment dysgenesis. The same mechanism is congenital glaucoma. And if they're older than 10, it's usually due to episcleral venous pressure. All right. So those are those six that we've talked about so far are, I think, what are widely regarded as the real phacomatoses, even though, as we've kind of frustratingly alluded to, there are very malleable definitions of a phacomatosis. Partly that's because of the next four. Those are ataxia telangiectasia, incontinentia pigmenti, and Wyburn-Mason syndrome. At least these next three, not always included in the phacomatoses, but they're often in the addendums for the phacomatoses. So Ben, what's the first one? Ataxia telangiectasia-like. It's also called Louis Barr syndrome. It's the only one that's autosomal recessive. So this presents as you know, diffuse telangiectasias generally, hence the name, and as ataxia, hence the name. So the CNS manifestation is that they have ataxia, they have variable intellectual disabilities, some have no disabilities, some have profound intellectual disability. The skin finding is just telangiectasias that are very visible, as well as on the eyes, they'll have conjunctival telangiectasias. The other classic manifestation you can remember an association with the ataxia is they have a poor initiation of saccades. So essentially, it's very similar to ocular motor apraxia. To remind you what ocular motor apraxia manifests as is difficulty initiating eye movements, meaning patients need compensatory head thrust to sort of initiate those eye movements. So you can remember that an association with the ataxia, as well as the conjunctival telangiectasias, in association with the name, ataxia telangiectasia. Just a sidebar to remember the causes of conjunctival telangiectasia is the mnemonic SOFA. So you can remember you watch the tele, like telangiectasia from the SOFA. So SOFA stands for S, sickle cell, O, Osler-Weber-Rendo, F, Fabry's disease, and A is ataxia telangiectasia. There's, you know, other things can cause it, but those are four that you should think about when you see telangiectasias. Finally, we should talk about the systemic manifestations of ataxia telangiectasia due to the gene mutation that causes the disease. The ATM gene, which is a causative gene, is also a tumor suppressor regulator. So because this gene is defective, patients can get increased rates of cancers, especially lymphoma, leukemia, and breast cancer. That's why it's important to try to diagnose a patient with ataxia telangiectasia as early as possible to get them on an appropriate screening schedule with their general provider. These patients get thymus hypoplasia, which can decrease their level of uh, T-cells circulating. Finally, these patients are particularly susceptible to radiation, which increases their risk of cancer because they have a defective ATM gene, which is a tumor suppressor regulator. Okay, that was a lot for ataxia telangiectasia. Let's move on to the next phacomatosis we have on our list. It's incontinentia pigmenti. For inheritance, it's X-linked dominant, and the only phacomatosis we're talking about that is X-linked dominant. The CNS manifestations can be quite bad, microcephaly, hydrocephalus, and seizures. That is a variable. Some people will have all those things. Some people have, you know, minimal amounts of those um, manifestations. Something that is something that's rather unique to incontinentia pigmenti that that helps identify it compared to the other phacomatoses is that they get these macules on the trunk. 
typically, and it can also be in the shins. And those macules are from um, erythem, this erythema and this bullae that developed that eventually kind of collapsed down into these macules. Some people will describe them as appearing like splashed paint. But in any case, these um, pigmented macules are pretty classic for incontinentia pigmenti. For dermophiles out there, these patterns follow the lines of Blaschko, the, the developmental lines of Blaschko. To remind you, lines of Blaschko are wavy or mosaic or whorling lines that represent the growth of the different cell embryologic cell lines of the of the skin so because there's variations in those cell lines they you can see these uh, swirling patterns on the skin and one example of that is an incontinentia pigmenti though of course there are many reasons that this can happen um, I refer you to your friendly local dermatology podcast to hear more. Well, we haven't mentioned yet. Um, we've talked about all the things incontinentia pigmenti can do to your skin and your brain. and But in your eyes, what does it even look like, Ben? Right. The ocular manifestations um, are essentially, it looks just like retinopathy of prematurity. They can get the tractional membranes, poorly developed retinal vasculature. So it looks like bilateral ROP. So if you have a patient who looks like they have ROP, but say they're not premature, then this should definitely be on your differential. And just to finish off that thought of differentials of retinopathy prematurity, there is incontinentia pigmenti, which we just described. The other entity to know about is fever, familial exudative vitreoretinopathy. retinopathy. So these are patients who have decidedly normal birth weights and delivered at a normal gestational age. To differentiate fever, FEVR, from incontinentia pigmenti, one can look for the systemic findings, so the skin findings we talked about, or the CNS manifestations. Another trick is to attempt to examine the mother, as this is an excellent dominant condition. She may have some expressance of this um, disorder as well. However, keep in mind that FEVR does have some inheritance, so there's many different patterns. FEVR can inherit it, including autosomal dominant, excellent recessive, etc. So that's not the definitive way, really, to systemic findings. So that's ataxia telejunctasia and incontinentia pigmenti. And we've talked about how those two, they're unlike everybody else in that everyone else so far has been autosomal dominant inheritance. The exceptions that we've talked about, the X-linked dominance of incontinentia pigmenti and the autosomal recessiveness of uh, ataxia telangiectasia. The next one that we'll talk about, Wyburn-Mason syndrome, is also sporadic. And this is where the mnemonic that you've heard before comes into play. Remember, W for wild. Any of these phacomatoses, these primary six or the extra credit ones, any of them that have a W in their name are sporadic or wild. So that's Wyburn Mason. And what else, Ben? Sturge Weber. Hooray. Unless they call it Ben. Encephalofacial angiomatosis. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, okay. You got your two W's, your, which would be your sporadic inheritance. So Wyburn Mason syndrome also has another name. It's also called racemos angioma. But whatever that, however you say that word, it means cluster, like a flower. So Wyburn-Mason is one of the most easy to remember syndromes in the eye. 
If you see a picture of what it looks like and what it does to the retina, or rather the retinal vessels, you'll never forget it. It's as if every it's as if every artery and vein in the retina just took on the exact same chunky appearance and all connected to each other. So it looks like a series of tubes. Yeah, yeah. Little fun fact: if you have the 2017 to 2018 edition of BCSE. That picture that's on the cover of all of those books is a picture of Racimos angioma, uh, retinal Racimos angioma. I'll tell you, the class of 2020 is real proud of that. That's it's on our book. <laughs> so you know that's the manifestation of the eye. The CNS manifestation is that they will also have these AV malformations, these Racimos angiomas in the brain, and those have a tendency to bleed, which can lead to seizures, hemiparesis. You know, focal neurologic findings, etc. They can also have these angiomas on the face. They can look like angiomas or nevi uh, on the skin, typically on the face. And they, they can also occur in other locations like the mandible. A classic question or a classic way this can manifest for the first time in a patient is they can have excessive bleeding after a dental procedure. And that's presumably because of an angioma and a mandible. So that would prompt someone to do further evaluation and they may find a racemos angioma within the eye, as an example. Okay, so this is the point when... Um our lecturers on phacomatoses actually let us go, but Ben won't let you go, because he's got a tenth. It's called Klippel Trenane Weber syndrome. All respect to Drs. Klippel Trenane and Weber. I hope I didn't mispronounce your names. You know, there's not much on this in uh, our BCSE textbooks. It's basically how it's described as you have these vascular nevi that tend to be on the extremities compared to something like Wyburn Mason, where it tends to all be on the face or the head. But Patients with this syndrome can also have vascular anomalies essentially anywhere in the eye if you look at the list from the front to the back. So it's something to be aware of. Perhaps you'll be tested on it, but it essentially causes vascular anomalies of the eye and the extremities. And that's it. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to our Twitter at Eyes4Ears with a number four. It also helps us if you rate and review us on iTunes. We're also excited to announce the launch of our website at eyes4ears.net, with four spelled out. You can keep an eye on that space to track the progress of our flashcard project, where we'll start to release flashcards with each episode. See you next time. Bye.